the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Face down, Hulk Hogan, the heavyweight 
Let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to another amazing episode here of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And John, on today's show, we've got a very interesting interview. We're heading back into Raven's Flock, also a member of the Dungeon of Doom, as we are joined by Reese and AKA the Yete on today's program. But we've got a special guest with us for this introduction, a, uh, a longtime dear personal friend of ours, the man who's going to be bringing so many stars down to the gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina, this coming weekend from KNS WrestleFest, the one and only Ken. Of KNS WrestleFest joining us. Ken, how you doing tonight? Good, John. How you doing? John, how are you? Doing great. Uh, we're Good. so we're pumped to have you on the show, Ken. You know, obviously the, the the four of us, you and your partner Steve there, we're at these conventions on the East Coast, and now we're all venturing down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. You've got a cavalcade of stars headed with you down to uh, to Charlotte. So kind of give the listeners an idea of what they can expect. At the gathering, we've been talking about it for weeks, a four-day wrestling fan fest of some of the most impressive talent you're going to find at a wrestling convention. But, Ken, kind of tell us what you have in store for the fans at the gathering. Well, um, I'd probably have, I'd probably say I have close to most, uh, the most guests on the, on the convention as far as a uh, vendor, uh, besides Marty. Um, we have uh, Medusa's going to be on Friday. Uh, August the 16th, I guess that would be. We I have uh, Medusa, and, not Medusa, I'm sorry. We have Abdul the Butcher and Ranger Ross will be appearing at the convention. Um, so uh, Abdullah I've worked with a couple different times, and uh, everybody knows he's an interesting guy. Um, and uh, Ranger Ross, who you had on the show, uh, which I listened to that interview, you guys did a great job with him, and, and uh, he's real interested in and seeing the fans. And then on uh, Saturday, uh, the 17th, uh, we're going to have uh, Medusa um, along with uh, the Glamour Girls, Judy Martin and Lilani Kai, and also Desiree Peterson, who was one of their, one, uh, a woman's wrestler from the same period of some people aren't very familiar with her. Um, she was one of the original WWF tag team, women's tag team champions. Um, and also, we have uh, Lodi and uh, Ron Reese, and we're going to have Boris Zukov um, and uh, Chick Donovan, who I who's another rare guest. Um, and uh, I think that is what we have on, on. Oh, and the crippler, Rip Oliver, will be there as well. And then on Sunday, we have uh, Robert uh, Fuller, uh, Colonel Parker, and. Thunderfoot, Joel Deaton, and uh, Mr. Hughes. So we've got uh, a ton of a ton of people on the show, and uh, I was a big fan of um, when Greg Price was doing the Charlotte conventions, and he always put on great shows. Not a fan of him personally, um, but his <laughs> shows were very good. Hmm. And um, when Marty said he was going, I've worked with Marty um, since probably 2000. 2007 or 8 I think is when I got introduced to Marty and and uh, we've been pretty close for the last 10 plus years and when he said he was doing the show I helped him out with a lot of uh, booking some of the guys and contacting some of the guys that are on a super ticket 
helping them try to plan it out, coordinate it and stuff like that, which I'll we'll speak lending him a hand that weekend. But him bringing this back is, 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 uh, really a really good experience, um, which you guys didn't get your first show back. First show. You didn't go to the great price shows, I assume, right? We promoted, uh, the last one. And, uh, yeah, because of that, uh, ditto, not a fan. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Kent, well, you know, you get. Uh, let me just jump in here for one second. You just named off basically different eras of the business, different characters, different personalities, and I think one thing the fans got to know about you, and this is it, really, I got to say, it's an East Coast thing. I mean, the guys that work the East Coast conventions, and I'll, I'll throw you know Marty in there. I'll throw myself and John, and, and you and Steve, and everybody who works those East Coast shows. Heading down to Charlotte shows the kind of wrestling fans we all are, because that southern wrestling fan loves those east coast guys that come down we know it from richmond but the the amount of people you've got coming in it's a really diverse crew and i think you guys are really doing a great job with what you brought down to uh, to the gathering well thank you i i um you know i mean i i did want a lot of a lot of them were driving in which was a big deal for me because i didn't really want to be on the road driving people back to airports back and forth and doing that so um you know that was that was part of it. I mean, I, because I really want to be there for the, the convention as well. I mean, like I was saying, um, you, and I think you and you two guys will realize once you're there that it, it is probably the most fun you could have at a convention. A lot of times we go to these shows and we're, we come in in the morning and we're running around like maniacs and, you know, shows over and we're running out of there. And then we see each other in, you know, two, three months at another show, this show, I mean, we can, there's downtime. We're all going to be staying, I assume, in the same hotel. We can we can eat dinner together. We can have a beer together. We can, you know, people mingling around, and you know, where we can actually talk to each other and 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 uh, have a good time. And that's for the fans, and that's for the you know the wrestlers. I mean, everybody enjoys it. So when Marty said he was putting this on, I was fully behind it, um, and I'm glad he he's taking the big risk and doing it. And uh, so far, according to him, it's it's paying off. So I think that. Uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be, you know, the start of some, hopefully regular events that he brings down to Charlotte, which would be great because it's basically very similar to what Greg Price did, but the big differences and the best differences is that Greg Price is gone and Marty's in, and the event is basically, you know, very similar and it's gonna be SA Motel and it's gonna be a great uh, time for I think for everybody involved. Yeah, I completely agree. And one thing that you said there is great that we do have that chance to kind of, you know, loosen the uh, the necktie there for a little bit and enjoy. Because I mean, I know for myself, I mean, I'm driving from Virginia all the way up to Jersey or up to Philly or wherever the shows are, and then John comes down here. You know, we're basically we're going right to the shows. There's no time for uh, chit chat. It's we're going right to work. It's very stressful. And John, you know, as I kind of welcome you in here now, I mean, you, I guess we would kind of feel the same way. We really have no time to get on the same page other than standing in the actual convention hall. And this time it is a more relaxed atmosphere. I think it's going to be really cool. You know, and John, what do you think about going into this show? Very cool. And it's going to be different for us. Obviously we never did Charlotte before, but you hear great stuff. We did help Greg Price promote it. And, you know, he's a different story altogether. I'm not going to get into that, but we did help promote the show. We've never actually been there, but it is going to be fun. It is going to be pretty cool. And I love that. Ken, you always bring in, rare guests, guests you haven't seen before, and just, you know, awesome guests. So what's your thought process when you bring in certain guests into certain places? Um, well, I'm a fan of 
old school, you know, wrestling. I mean, you know, I like guys from the eighties and the nineties and, 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 um, you know, territory guys. I mean, I don't think a lot of these guys who have gotten their due, a lot of these guys that, you know, were very famous in their areas back in their time. And because of television exposure, they're not really, uh, exposed to, you know, countrywide audience. So, um, but were you know, but drew money, drew money in the areas that they were in and, and worked. And, and, um, so I, I, I was a big tape trader younger and, and in my younger years, and I used to get, see this stuff. So a lot of these guys that are, uh, obscure to me are just as big as guys that were on WWF TV in the eighties or NWA, you know, during the eighties or nineties. And, you know, I like, so I go, I have always had a tendency to go for that. I mean, we, we brought out over the years, uh, so many guys that, um, uh, that, uh, never did shows before because we've been doing this so long. I mean, we were the first guys to bring out Freebird Buddy Roberts years ago and, and, uh, we worked with him multiple times and, um, I was a huge Freebird fan. So, I mean, guys like him, I brought up, uh, Hangman Bobby Jaggers to a convention, uh, which was the only convention that he ever did before he passed away. Um, we also had, uh, uh the Harris boys, um, Ron and Don Harris, who've only done one convention appearance, and that was for us, and don't want to do another one. And not because of what we, you know, did. It's just they just said they just wanted to do one show, and that was that. Um, so I, I, I just, my our thought process is always in that, in the old school, and, and uh, I, I have a hard time putting money into somebody that I just really am not a fan of or wasn't a fan of watching because I like to, you know, I want to, you know, enjoy, um, you know, booking somebody that I that I saw on television that I was a fan of, and, and, and goes hand in hand with booking, and so that's kind of my thought process. People that I was fans of, and and uh, giving some of these people a, a a do that maybe haven't been around. Unfortunately, there's a lot of guys that you know don't know these guys, so they are limited. But a lot of these guys are very uh, reasonable with their prices, so you know that's one of the reasons we do that. That is awesome. And as far as gathering, we named all the awesome guys, but I also wanted to mention Monroe, New Jersey, 921. Who do you got coming out to Legends of the Ring? Well, actually, two more uh, rare guys for the Northeast and also one that's never done anything. Um, We have uh, Tim Horner, uh, who's coming, who has, I think, only done one show in the Northeast, which we had back six, seven years ago in New Jersey. So he has very, done very little in this area, and uh, he'll be at the show. And then we also tracked down and found a WCW uh, wrestler from the 90s, um, Ice Train, who's never done any convention and or appearance. So we have him. Joey's trying to bring out somebody that's just never done anything, which is incredibly hard now, considering with all the conventions and shows that pretty much everybody's been out. Um so that's who we have right now with that with those two. Um, also, uh, just wanted to say that we'll be going to the big event in uh, in uh, Queens on uh, November the sixteenth, and we can announce uh, we're going to have Coco Beware at that show. So, um, you know, he's he's done shows here and there a lot, uh, but we really haven't worked with him much. So, we figured we'd bring him back out and see how he does. And uh, that's pretty much some of our lineup as far as what we've some of the upcoming shows that we're going to. 
Gotta love Coco. Always, uh, any WWF guy, I don't care who they are, always have some sort of crowd or some sort of buzz or some sort of new merch that maybe they've never seen. And it's always, uh, it's always a lot of fun to see those, uh, you know, heyday era WWF guys. But before we let you go, I want to talk about your trading card sets. But before I even... Well, Chad, I got, what? I got one question for you, Chad. How come, you, how come John is so stressed at shows? Because you do all the work, Chad. <laughs> I've been asking myself that question for a few years. So that, that, that's a great one. That's a great way to uh, kind of cliffhanger. Well, but... let's, we'll, have, we'll have to discuss that in Charlotte. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. After he goes we to have sleep. To that out. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, before we uh, we get into the trading cards, which I want to talk about because those are very near and dear to uh, to my interest, you know, I got to say I'm going to put you you and John over because you guys really do have those deep Rolodex, and you really uh, everybody's kind of now going above and beyond to get that rare guest and somebody who hasn't been to the conventions because the conventions have been flooded with a lot of the the same repeats and the old reliables and the guys that are at every show and really it's kind of like a can you top this to see who's going to be. Uh, you know, grabbing the guy that hasn't done something before. So do you kind of look a few shows out, see where you're going to be, and map out who you want? Not giving away the trade secrets or anything, but just kind of get in your head. As far as how I map our appearances out? Yeah, if you're looking at somebody, hey, I want to bring, you know, somebody who's never been out to a show to, let's say, Philadelphia. Looking at the specific venue and trying to figure who your guest is going to be. Well, I mean, yeah, we always try to see who's been in that area and who's not been in that at that show before. I mean, it's incredibly hard now. Um, I mean, it's incredibly hard now. I, I, I don't really think you can do it anymore. You know, these ice trains, and ice train, I mean, all due respect to him, he's, an, he's a very nice guy. I'm happy he's coming in out, but he, he's not a, uh, you know, a, you know, he's going to have his interest, but he's, he's not, uh, you know, uh, a household name that maybe people will go completely crazy for. But, we there's very few guys that are really going to get a huge buzz that are going to come out. So, um, you know, we kind of think of like, you know, uh, we always try to find that, that rare guy, if we can still pull somebody out that maybe we used, you know, 10 years ago that hasn't been used or, or, or so, but you know, um, we do tend to want to bring more of the mainstream WWF, WCW, 90s guys to like the big event i find that they do better there the more of the territory guys um i think do a little bit better at legends and also i think they find i find that they uh that's what i like to get about the gathering is that i think they the gathering's made for that i mean the whole show is made for old school you know territory type feeling so um you know every show we kind of you know and every crowd is a little different you know the New York crowd tends to spend a little bit more money than the Philadelphia crowd, I feel. And, and you know, um, so it's, it's you got to kind of maybe bring a little more reasonable price guy to Philadelphia than you would to New York. It's it's kind of like a, um, a balancing act. And you know, a lot of times you work with these guys, like you guys work with the same guys a lot. So you probably have uh, good relationships where you can get, you know, certain deals with these guys that are a little bit more reasonable than than other people. And um, that's pretty much kind of what we do. And then basically I come up with the ideas and then, and then uh, Steve tells me, uh, critiques it. And then I don't listen to him and I do it anyway. <laughs> Are you listening in on our strategy sessions too? Is that, is that what you're doing now? You're listening to our conversations? Cause that's how it goes with me. He, I bring up all these ideas. He shoots them down. We go in another direction. So it ends up being successful every time. So I'm very, uh, yeah. very satisfied. But listen, Ken, before we let you go, I want to talk about the trading card sets 
you've made a couple of them so far. I mean, I love them because I'm a big card collector, and I've seen over the last maybe two years a real big uh, you know upswing in people getting cards signed versus just your traditional eight by tens. Uh, but tell the fans, you know, what they are and where they can get them because they are they're stellar sets. And if you go to a show and they're at now, you got a little something extra to uh, to get done by the uh, the guy who's on the picture. Sure. Well, we oh, I, I will talk about the latest set coming out first. Um, I teamed up with Marty uh, from the uh, team art for the gathering where we are partners on an exclusive gathering uh trading card set that are that is a set of cards for all of his super ticket guests so every one of his super ticket guests we made into a trading card and um so it's exclusive you know to his show uh we're going to have them on sale uh at the event um he was taking pre-orders for them um which he he had a good good amount of sold on pre-order and we're going to have a table full of the card sets uh at the gathering on thursday and friday and saturday for sale and uh, that that way uh, people can buy them there, and it's, it's his entire super ticket, and it's something that people can bring up to the line and get those signed. And it's has the, the front of the card has the date of the event, and it's uh, the logo of the event. So it's um, but it's under the superstars of the squared circle trading card line. It's the special edition gathering uh, set. So we have that coming out, which of course has you know Lex Luger in it, and. Um, Greg Ganya and Sheik Adnan Casey and the Midnight Express and the original Midnight Express. So it's a it's a really cool set and has bios in the back of of, of each guy. Um, and we also will have at the gathering our first two sets that we put out, um, which uh, the first set some of the cards are, are Matt Hardy, uh, Tony Atlas, Abdul the Butcher, uh, Freebird, Buddy Roberts, um, and then our second set which came out about five months later, uh, has Kenny Omega and um, the Barbarian, King Harley Race, um, Zack Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay, others. Uh, each set is about 16 cards, the, the first and second sets. The, the Gathering Edition will, have, will be uh, a 21-card set um, because we put you know, the Minute Express on one card and... and uh, Ricky Santana and Cuban Assassin on one card. So it's a little, little less cards than the actual guest there. Um, but uh, they're all for sale, going to be all at the gathering, and they'll be all for sale there. Um, also, the first two sets you can buy today, tomorrow, and forever on our website, superstarsofsquaredcircle.com. Um, and they're for sale on there, and it goes straight to my PayPal, and we'll mail it out the next day. Um, we also have cards that are autographed uh, from the sets that we have available. Um, if anybody has any interest in these card sets or questions, they can email me at WrestleFest05 at Hotmail.com and um, I think that the uh, gathering set is going to be um, is going to probably do the best so far. It seems to have the most buzz right now and I think the other sets will do well uh, which they have done well, but they'll also continue to sell well. I think they'll sell well at the show too, considering the, the gatherings that is there as well. Yeah, yeah, can't wait to see him. That's going to be great. Hey, you never got that King Kong Bundy card uh, in the set, did you? <laughs> no, no, I tried. I tried, but then I uh, Bundy uh, didn't seem to like my offer, and uh, told me to go 
go to hell, and then that was it. But um, sat I'm very awkwardly, Ken, then, while that happened. I sat very awkwardly uh, right next to Bundy while that yeah. was going down. <laughs> yes, I mean, hopefully we're we're gonna make on our next set. We're gonna make a uh, Chad and John card. Oh, I don't know how well it'll sell. <laughs> but you kidding me? Well, yeah, I don't know how well that'll sell, but I mean, you know, you guys are becoming a almost more famous than the wrestlers so <laughs> i would say at this point you know you need to have your due too on the trading card oh my gosh you're too kind well ken listen really looking forward to hanging out this coming weekend at the gathering it's going to be an unbelievable four yes. days uh the guests like we said just you know an unbelievable array of talent if you haven't listened to the ranger ross interview go back and listen to it the man bears his soul talks about stuff that i don't think he's ever done on another podcast and after we're done with this introduction you'll hear from Ron Reese. So a lot of gathering talk going on in our world. Ken, we will be seeing you uh, this weekend, but before we let you go, any more uh, plugs out there, any more social media you want to share with the listeners and let's get all the eyeballs over to K and S some of the best in the business when it comes to the wrestling autograph conventions. Well, our website is uh, dot com, And uh, you can, still pre-order for the gathering I'm not sure when this is going to be heard and then also um we can uh you can also order for all the other upcoming events like legend of the ring and, and big event and anything else we do um and then you my email of course again is russellfesto5 at hotmail.com with any questions and uh uh, can I give Steve's home phone number out there in case anybody <laughs> out there wants to call Steve? Yeah, or absolutely. No? FaceTime no? the whole nine yards, whatever uh, whatever we got to do. But, yeah, listen, can't mm. wait to see you, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Yes, guys, thank you. I appreciate it. And um, don't forget to bring your money when you want those trading cards. <laughs> All right. So we're back here in real time. We just let the man Ken from KNS uh, off the line here. But, John, we're going to jump back in. We're going to talk about this interview that you did with Ron Reese, another uh, member of Raven's Flock, like I said, and also the Yeti from the Dungeon of Doom in the WCW days. A uh, guy who, again, you know, when we talked about it with Lodi, I think a lot of those Flock members go kind of uh, uncharted and underrated in terms of, you know, where they fall in the pantheon of pro wrestling. But one thing's for sure, man, we're going to be talking about the Yeti for like 100 years because that is an unforgettable moment in wrestling, whether people look at it, you know, as a goof or whatever. But kind of tell us what we have to look forward to here in this interview with uh, the big man, the giant, Ron Reese. I love when you kind of talk to him. Of course, you got to mention almost a Yeti, you know, from the get-go almost because so many people remember it. It was so crazy, so weird, so 80s, but yet it's 1995 that it's going on and it was so kind of surreal. It's like, who is this guy? Is he a mummy? He's wrapped in tape. He's coming. He's bear-hugging Hogan. But him and Giant are like humping Hogan. You know, it's just <laughs> crazy, crazy time at Halloween Havoc 1995 for WCW. It was definitely in a time warp. It definitely felt like it was, you know, 1985, not 1995. So we definitely start off the uh, interview, not start it off, but to get to that fairly quickly because you got to talk about the WCW run. You got to talk about the Yeti. And we do say, and he makes a great point, how many things in wrestling are you going to remember from right now 25 years from now. So you think to yourself, well, that, that's a great point. You know, are you going to remember, oh, Seth Rollins beat Lesnar again? Are we going to even be remembering that 25 years from now? We might not. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that you're not going to remember. 
But certainly one thing that we remember from 25 years ago was the Yeti coming out, was the Dungeon of Doom, was the Giant, was Hogan, was Halloween Havoc 95. So it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, this, yeah, that. But it was remembered 25 years later. Pretty crazy. Kind of surreal if you think about it. One of those things, it's like, wow, nobody will forget that. It's just a total unforgettable moment. So we talked about that. That was cool. We also talked about him playing the super giant ninja, which I'm sure a lot of people don't remember. But definitely stay tuned for that part of the interview. Learn a little bit more about that. And, of course, Reese in the Ravens flock. One of those things where you talk about like, man, why the hell? Same thing with Lodi. Why the hell didn't that have a longer run? The crowd was so into it. They loved the flock getting beat up. And to see a guy like Goldberg get in there with Reese, it's like, uh-oh, this guy is a you know seven foot three. He's an absolute monster. Weighs almost four hundred pounds. Goldberg isn't gonna get destroyed. He, he ran through Raven. He speared Lodi. He destroyed Saturn. He, you know, he destroyed everybody in the flock. Now it's time to deal with Reese. And guess what? He takes a stiff spear and somehow he gets the big giant up for the jackhammer. So I, I love talking about that. I thought that was really cool, really cool part. And, you know, Goldberg maybe a little stiff in there. It might have been. And I think Dolph Ziggler knows that all too well. Goldberg can be a little stiff in there. But he definitely does have the best spear in the history of wrestling. And Reese felt it. So I thought that was a really cool thing. And, of course, like I mentioned before, the flock ending way too soon. So, yeah, that's, I mean, just stemming from the Lodi interview, that's definitely on the uh, the tip of the tongue for uh, for this interview to get somebody else's take on it. But, you know, the look, the Yeti, it, it, yes, it was corny. Yes, it was a little out there. But if you remember Hulk Hogan from that time period, man, did he fit perfectly into that Hulk Hogan realm of those giants that he needed to overcome the odds against. And whether it was a bear hug or a humping or whatever the hell he did to the Hulkster with, uh, with the giant, uh, he had Hulk Hogan written all over him. I think that's kind of easy to uh, to see if you especially know the history of the Hulkster and how he loved working those big men. Yes, and you you know he looks at Reese and probably thought, wow, this is a the perfect guy. You know, maybe the next guy to kind of be the giant, so to speak. And I just love when we talk about that in the interview about being that big guy and also having the giant on the roster at the same time. Reese is a little bit bigger. In a couple different ways, it's a little bigger than the giant. So I love kind of he talks about that role and kind of being the guy you faced before you faced the giant. Let's see if this guy, whoever maybe he could be the, you know, maybe not Hogan specifically, but I'm saying like the Hogan's of the world, that main eventer, that guy is about to go into the main event against the giant. It could be the DDPs of the world, Goldberg, whoever. They have to face Reese before they face the giant. It's a really interesting role to be in, a really interesting position. And there's not too many giants out there. And WCW had two of them. So really cool. And for somehow, some way, Reese is actually bigger than Paul White, which is kind of hard to believe and hard to say, but it's true. Uh, you know, he and he just kind of fit WCW at that point and fit the Hogan mold, if you will. Hogan loves those big, giant guys. Those gargantuans, yeah. I mean, look, and if you think we're wrong, just go back and look at his track record. Anytime a big man came into uh, the WWF, anytime they were in WCW, was always fodder for the Hulkster. Even if you look about some of the jobbers, it's really uh, it's kind of in the same uh, the same vein. But look, that's enough out of us. This was a great introduction. It was cool to have Ken on the show. I mean, look, we see him at the conventions all the time, and we get to chit chat about what's going on in the room and who's doing this, and you know what's the crowd like. But to get him on the show, have him talk about who he's got at the gathering, as well as some of the other things that are going on, is very cool. And we appreciate Ken giving us a couple of minutes. And look forward to hanging out uh, this coming weekend in Charlotte. So if you're going to be in Charlotte and you did hear 
this interview or Ranger Ross or a few weeks back with Double A Arn Anderson, please come over and say hello at the gathering. And uh, we would love to uh, to meet you. We'd love to shake your hand, and we'd love to uh, definitely you know get your take on what these interviews uh, had to offer. So, with all that being said, we want to thank Blue Chew for being on board with us once again for this episode. And of course, stay tuned during that episode that you're about to listen to here for some uh, special offer from Blue Chew. But I won't give enough of that away right now. I want to get it on over to this interview coming up here that John did with the big man Ron Reese. And we will see you this coming weekend in Charlotte at the Gathering in North Carolina. So let's hit you with some two-man power trip of wrestling business and get this show on the road. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WCW superstar. You may know him as the Super Giant Ninja, the Yeti, or Reese. He is Big Ron Stud, a.k.a. Ron Reese. Please enjoy. <laughs> Former WCW superstar, you may know him as the Yeti, Super Giant Ninja Reese, also known as Big Ron Stud, or a former TCW World Tag Team Champion. He is, of course, Ron Reese. Ron, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. And, of course, I think everyone knows you as the Yeti from WCW. How is it going today, Yeti? Oh, 
Right. Absolutely. And that, that is great to hear. And I think everyone always thinks of the Yeti and that mummy outfit and, and, and kind of Halloween had a kind of when they think about you. What are your kind of thoughts and recollections on the Yeti character? <laughs> right, right. That is a, that is a great point. When the Yeti debuted and he attacked Hulk Hogan and he gave him that big bear hug, what, what was kind of going through your head? You're making your debut, you're in that outfit, and you're getting going to go basically not one-on-one, but two-on-one with one of the biggest stars of all time, Hulk Hogan. I do not say so. I guess it was just really not that bad, so... Yeah. Uh, right. Right. I remember it well. You're you're right, and uh, obviously that was a, a great moment for the Yeti, and a great moment WCW for the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. Now that the Yeti has kind of set his piece, and obviously you always get some great sound bites when dealing with the Yeti. Love to talk to Ron Reese, the man behind the Yeti, the man behind the mask, the man who will be appearing at the gathering with KNS WrestleFest in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Charlotte, excuse me, Hilton, a Charlotte University hotel. And obviously, for anything KNS or pre orders, go to kswrestlefest.weebly.com. Now, Mr. Reese, welcome in officially yes. to the two man power trip. Obviously, the Yeti made a brief appearance, but what is going on in the world of Ron Reese and what will be going on the weekend of the 16th and 17th over at the Gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina? Well, uh, right now, no, my son is going off to college this week, so that's a big thing in the Reese household. He's going to be headed up to Wingate University to uh, start his football career, and uh, so that's very exciting for us. And then uh, on the 17th, I'm coming up to the North Carolina, to Charlotte, to do the wrestling gathering. And uh, we're going to do an autograph session during the day. And then uh, Lodi and I are going to get into the battle royale. Love it. And anytime you and Lodi are together, obviously, it's kind of a little homage to the Ravens flock, which yes. was uh, a hell of a stable in WWE. But, you know, just briefly, you mentioned your son going off to college. I got to know because, obviously... You are a gigantic man, over seven feet tall, obviously well over seven feet tall. How big is your son? He is uh, six six, and he he played high school football at like three or five, but he's dieted down to 280 so that he can go into football camp and uh, make all his uh, conditioning runs the first week. So he's very excited. Very he proud is of not him. as He's not as big as you, though. It's, it's interesting. No, he's not. No, no. I diluted the uh, the height with a small wife. So my wife's very petite. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes, right? And they yes, kind of, you know, yes, you get a little yes, bit of slicing of the short and the tall, and they don't get as tall. Was your father? He was pretty tall as well, wasn't he? My dad was six uh, eleven. He played basketball at the University of Cincinnati where he was a two-time national champion. And uh, so that's where I got most of I think I, 
My mom's only five six. So I think I got all my hype from my dad. Yeah, absolutely, my God, and and you played a little basketball yourself at Santa Clara, so you, you have Santa a, a bit of a yeah. you, bit of a background in basketball yourself. Yes, it was the family sport, and then my son just decided he wanted to play football. So I'm, I'm okay with that. That's uh, that definitely <laughs> pretty good. What is your yeah. official height? I am uh, seven foot two and like one eighth or something like that. Just a little over seven foot two. I mean, but I'm sure I've shrunk over the years, so I just say seven two. Gotcha. Now, obviously, you know you're doing this autograph signing. You're going to be in the battle royal, and you've been in a couple battle royals before, or is WCW and World War Three, but. You know, as far as wrestling and and being a wrestler, how the heck did you get into the business? Is this just something where they just see like, okay, this is a you know a giant amount of a man, we got to get him into the pro wrestling business? Uh, so if I could just tell you a quick story about my first battle royal, the one that you were talking about, the uh, World War Three. Oh yeah, I was, definitely. I came out as the Yeti. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I was a Yeti, but I was dressed up as a giant ninja, which I didn't Yeah, a super giant ninja, yep. Didn't really make that much sense. I thought it was pretty hilarious, and Bobby Eaton's like, oh, he must have thought out. <laughs> I got out there, and so, like, Arn Anderson, like, comes up to me, he's like, hey, man, uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, you're so big, you know, you're going to dominate this thing, but we're, we're going to just have everyone attack you at the beginning, and then, like, throw you out, and I'm like, okay. So I'm still like real, real you know, green into the business, and I was real nervous and all this stuff. And Brian Pillman's like, "Hey man, don't worry about it. We got you." And I'm like, "Okay." So I'm in the ring. They ring the bell. Brian Pillman comes and turns my mask backwards. And by the time I figured out that the mask was backwards and I could get it back straight, I was on the floor, uh, thrown over the top rope. So I was like, "Wow, that was pretty good," you know. And they literally just turned my back. I had no idea where I was. Next thing you know, I'm on the ground. So, <laughs> and to begin with, obviously, like you mentioned, the gimmick was a little weird, a little strange, and it's kind of like out of nowhere. Especially you were the Yeti, and then all of a sudden now you're super giant under. Yeah, well, so like I came to the building, they're like, "All right, are you ready to be the Yeti?" I'm like, "Well, I don't, have, you know, like all that shit was just that the guy had like." They got the EMT guys there to just wrap me in gauze. And I'm like, look, I don't have any of that gauze stuff. And I'm like, well, what do you have? I'm like, I just have the ninja that he told me to bring. And I'm like, all right, well, now the giant ninja is the Yeti. And I'm like, all right, sounds good to me. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Now that, I don't think there was a lot of planning back then. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't sound like it was uh, very uh, strategically planned out for the Yeti or the super yeah. giant ninja to be, you know, any sort of character or any sort of long-term plan? No, I don't think there was any, like, you know, 30-day, 90-day plan on with the Yeti. So when you kind of, and, and kind of backtracking a bit, when you kind of get into the business, and obviously they, they see how, how big you are and stuff, what is kind of, you know, how, like, how does that whole thing go? And obviously I'll get back to WCW and the, and the Yeti and, Giant in just a second, but I'm just so intrigued by how they found you. I mean, they, I guess they saw you playing basketball. Is it one of those things? 
Well, so uh, my basketball agent had played in uh, Bill Duffy had played in a golf tournament with Big John Stud, and so I played basketball over in Europe, and I was just I was over it. And I'm like, I got to figure something out here, and he's like, "Well, have you ever thought of wrestling?" And I'm like, "No." So I got a hold of uh, he put me in touch with Big John Stud, and then John uh, helped me out getting into Killer Kowalski School up in uh, Boston where, you know, there was Paul Levesque at the time and uh, Perry Saturn was up there. I was pretty pretty good little stable up there. And then um, out of there, I, uh, I wrestled in California a little bit where I'm from. We were doing some shows down with uh, Jesse Hernandez down in the uh, L.A. area. And then they started doing some shows out in Las Vegas and I was doing those. And then uh, WCW just pretty much was like, hey, we, we'd like to give you a tryout. And I went down to the power plant, and they beat the, the crap out of me for about a week or so. And then, you know, it was a weird time because back then, yeah, everyone knew that wrestling was uh, entertainment, but no one really wanted to, you know, none of the boys really wanted to let you in on that it was entertainment. So you, you would get there, and they'd stretch you out. And then, you know, if you... It's an old story. If you, the first couple of days they stretch you out, and if you come back the third day, then you know they sort of loosen up on you. So it was tough, though. Man, the uh, power plant is just crazy. And I, they did, you know, they kind of did a behind-the-scenes documentary 20 years ago or so about how yeah. tough it was and how those guys were breaking down. And they basically, and I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was almost as if they didn't want anybody to, you know, pass this trial or get to the power plant. They almost wanted you to quit. Uh, yeah. I think most of the guys that were making it in the WCW uh, already had an end like Jericho and those guys that, you know, they'd wrestled up in uh, Smoky Mountain and stuff like that. And then, you know, when you got down to the power plant, we made everyone do those uh, Hindu squats. And not a lot of people knew about them at the time. So you do a couple hundred of those and you lose your legs. So it's pretty tough sailing after that. It's just I I remember those videos like, man, like um, Sarge was putting those guys to Uh, to work. Unbelievable. You know, the weird thing about it was we had some, like, really guys that were, like, badass, you know, not – well, this is sort of, like, before the UFC, but were really tough guys coming in there. And then, you know, just always wait for them to get blown up on the Hindu squats. And then it was like, all right, now everyone's fair game, so. They really wanted to see, like you said, who would show up on that third day and, and who could make it and who did oh. they actually think was going to be tough enough to enter this crazy world of professional wrestling. Well, you had some guys that I remember one guy was like on his honeymoon and his wife was like, you know, as our wedding present, you've always wanted to be a wrestler. I got to this tryout at WCW and this guy was in horrible shape, never had done anything. He was like 35 years old and he lasted like, you know, 15 minutes. And then we had other guys that were like really good. That was like, you know, like he said, they'd last like two days. And then the last day, they just won't show up. So it was just, wow, you know. It almost is, obviously, it's a lot of physical, but there's a lot of mental involved, too. And if you just mentally quit, you're not going to make it in the yeah. business anyway. It's a real tough business. Well, yeah. I mean, you do, would do Hindu squats and then push-ups. It was just nonstop. 
And then Sarge would jump on you and start yelling at you, like, wow, there's got to be something better way to make a living than this. Did you ever think about kind of quitting and getting out of there? You know, if I had, if I hadn't flown out from California and, and known that it was going to be a long drive back, uh, I probably you know would have thought a lot more about it. But to be honest with you, I was like that guy in uh, Officer and Gentleman. I had nothing going on in my life, so it was like, look, this <laughs> is probably the best it's going to get, you know. Now, they get you get the tryout. Obviously, you end up making it. How do you kind of jump from that and the tryout and being in WWE to actually them saying, hey, we got something for you, want, want to be the Yeti on TV? So something like Eric Bischoff uh, comes to you? Uh, you know, who, who kind of tells you you're going to be on TV? Well, so they were doing a lot of stuff with uh, Paul White. You know, and I guess he was a giant at the time. Mm-hmm. So they had him going. And then the way that I understood it was, was that uh, – Jorge, Jorge Gonzalez was going to be the Yeti, and then I was going to be the giant ninja, and then I was going to, they wanted me to go over to Japan and tour Japan for a while. So I was like, you know, look, you know, I'm just happy being here. So I thought that sounded really good. And then uh, Giant Gonzalez got sick, and so they moved me into the Yeti, and I was like, you know, I really didn't, you know, didn't know what was going on, but it sounded better, you know, hey, I'm fine with whatever you guys need. So that's when I joined the Dungeon of Doom. Now, it's so interesting the way that happens because obviously Giant Gonzalez doesn't, you can say he got sick, he, he doesn't make TV, and it kind of gives you an opportunity. When they put that mummy outfit on you, are you like thinking to yourself, okay, this is this is pretty weird or silly, or like, okay, they're wrapping me up with uh, medical tape and, and everything else. Like This is like a weird gimmick for the 90s, which is not, you know, that seems like more of an 80s gimmick, so so to speak. Uh, you know, but back then, I mean, there was all kinds of guys dressed up in the dungeons. Then we had, what, uh, Shark. We had, uh, what was uh, the Zodiac one? Was, yep. Uh, Beefcake. Yep. Uh, Hugh Morris. So it still wasn't really that far out. And then, you know, the one thing that everyone forgets is, I mean, they had a, a what was a monster truck pool halfway through the wrestling show and then uh, the giant like supposedly fell off the building into the river and then like came back so I don't know how much <laughs> yes. it was like too far fetched yeah it the whole thing seemed like it was almost kind of 80s-esque with the monster truck and Hogan really yeah. killing the giant but somehow he makes it back out for the main event you're right very you know very kind of um, you, you gotta and suspend disbelief Sullivan, my son, you know, King Curtis in the background, you know, it's like, wow, really? It's hard to take that serious, you know? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And the Yeti, like you said, did fit right in. You didn't think, like, you didn't think anything, like, or were you just thinking, like, okay, this could be a break for me. I'm going to get on TV. This is a big pay-per-view, huge main event. You think that this was a break, or you think, like, I don't know about this gimmick? Uh, I was definitely very excited. I thought it was a great break. You know, just you know, how many guys can say they've been in the main event and pay for that? Mm, very true. And maybe I didn't have the greatest results in the main event and the pay per view, but not many guys can say they've been in the main event and pay per view. When you go out there, what's the instruction? They just said literally just bear hug Hogan, but also 
Claire, yeah, you know, with the Giants. I mean, there was not a lot of. Uh, it's funny because I, I listened to some of the podcasts from WWE where they talk about everything being so um, dictated, and they're told what to do and what to say and how to do everything. Back in WCW, there was nothing. So you're kind of not doing whatever you want, but you you just give it a little bit of an instruction and you kind of just roll with it, and, and it's not it was the instruction. It was, there was not much else. Like, hey, you just go out there and be big. I, like, well, I mean, you know, Hogan's a good guy. We're the bad guys. Go out there. And I believe that's the night Luger turned. Yes. Yeah, and then so, you know, it was like, okay, and then he's trying, and okay, you know, Let's go out there. And Jimmy Hart as well. That's right. Yeah, Jimmy Hart, they all turned. Now, one time before that, there was rumors that Hogan was going to turn that night. But I don't, you know, because that's when he started wearing the black. Yes. Yep. That was kind of the the precursor to Hollywood Hogan when he was really (laughs) dark and they cut off his mustache and he he started finding, you know, his, his evil side. Yes. So I was always thought that, that, you know, it was, there was a lot of rumors going around then that people were changing, and, you know, with Austin being that, what is it, the sort of anti-society uh, baby face, that everyone certainly wanted to be that sort of character, so. Now, does anybody ever, like, just, like, kind of joke around with you, like, nowadays, obviously, you say, oh, you know, the Yeti and, and the bear hug, and and Havoc 95, they kind of say, you know, that was kind of hokey and stuff like that? Uh, you know, uh, look, the funny thing about the Yeti thing is obviously it was terrible, and it was not one of the brightest moments in wrestling history or my wrestling career. But we're still talking about it 25 years later, you know? So I mean, it can't be all that bad. That is a great point. Bad, don't get me wrong, but it can't be all that bad. That is a great point because if you think about it, some other things from 25 years ago, you don't remember one second of it. Sure. That I can literally remember where I was, what I was doing, every every, every part there. of it. Yep. Yep, I remember it was in my friend's basement. We were watching, uh, me, my brother, and my friend, we're all watching it saying, oh, my God, this is, this is crazy. What is this? Like the giant's yeah. dead. Now he comes back from the monster truck. And the Yeti was unforgettable. It was almost like they were trying to outdo themselves, like the whole entire time. Like, and then we'll have them go off and then come back. It's like, what? There was a, a lot of reality that was lost that day, you know. We yes. Not in touch with reality. So. Very entertaining. Yeah. Yep. Entertaining and very over the top. <laughs> but, you know, so the thing is this, is if we didn't have that moment where we went over the top so much, we never would be able to bring it back to where they had like the Steve Austins and the NWO, where they just had the regular name. So, yes, yeah, that was kind of like, all right, you know, maybe like the cartoon era was like kind of ending, and as soon as Scott Hall and, and Nash and Hogan turned, it was really, really such a, a huge turn of the business, and really led to a huge, huge, obviously gigantic boom, whether it was oh, attendance, yeah. merchandise, just all around money, gate, everything went up. Well, I think, you know, maybe the Yeti and that whole storyline with the Giant and all that stuff and Sullivan, that was like the last of the yeah. 
fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think after that, you know, you saw like um, Stone Cold doing the, the, the gimmick with uh, uh, Vince McMahon, where you know that was his boss, and they had conflict like that. It just wasn't any more of that make believe goofy stuff. So you know, it's all cyclical. Right? I guess you know you have to have the good to get to the, or you have to have the bad to get to the good. So definitely, yep. Now expectations of. WCW, like what they were going to do with you, did you have any at this point? Uh, no, I just was having, well, you know, I always, they were talking about going to Japan, so I did that, and then uh, pretty much just, I didn't do much for three or four months, and then they sent me to Japan for, for four months, and I went to Japan and toured with, uh, the first tour was actually pretty cool, it was the uh, J-Cup. And, uh, you know, if I tell you who's on the trip, you're going to, as a guy who was not really into the uh, cruiserweights, I went on this tour, and it was uh, Mr. J, who I guess he wrestles, uh, he was, uh, he wrestled for Ring of Honor, and he wrestled for the one uh, TNA. Mr. Mm-hmm. J had the mask on, and then it was Eddie Guerrero, it was Benoit, and it was Dean Malenko. And uh, there was a couple guys from uh, Mexico that were there. But just, you know, really watching those guys night in and night out, I really got into the uh, cruiserweight stuff. And I, I think that maybe one of the best matches I've ever ever saw was uh, was um, Eddie Guerrero as Black Mask or Black Cat versus mm-hmm. uh, uh, no, Benoit in the, I think it was like the corner finals of the J-Cup. I mean, it was really good stuff. So I really got, got excited about that. And then the second tour was uh, the Road Warriors and uh, Brad Armstrong. So two totally different you know, ways of doing the wrestling, but it was still entertaining over there. So. Awesome and stuff. Then I came back, and then I was, uh, I was the official guy that, if you were facing the Giant, so I would wrestle on Saturday nights and win. And then whoever the giant was facing at the pay-per-view, I would wrestle on Monday night and lose to. Huh. That is kind of like the, you're right, that is kind of the strategy yeah. that went, went into it. Yeah, so it was like, oh, you know, we don't think that uh, Benoit is big enough to beat the giant. Well, we're going to prove that he can because he's going to beat uh, Ron Reese on a Monday night. It's like, oh, okay, now, you know, give him a little bit of credibility. That is true. Yeah, that is exactly. You're right. That is pretty much exactly the blueprint of, of kind of what they used to, what they were yeah. doing. Well, no one wanted to ever tell me that was my official role. But for like ten months straight, I wrestled the whoever the gentleman was wrestling at the pay per view. I wrestled him on Monday night. So it's like, okay, I'm getting where we're going with this. What were your thoughts of being in that role? Uh, you know, it was good. I, I, I was learning a lot. I was getting, like, some action on Saturday night and stuff like that. I wish maybe I could have got more of a character and been more of a, you know, you hear about these guys on the WWE where they, you know, down at NXT and they get a character and they really get to roll with it and do a lot of shows. But, you know, when you're doing the TVs, it's sort of hard to really get matches in because everything's five minutes. But it was good, you know, and then they took me off for a while, and then I got into the uh, fly. 
Hey, let's pause one second to tell you all about the benefits of using Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with a little help from the Triple Threat Podcast and the two-man power trip. So listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as any other pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, if you know anything about our show, we've always got to be ready. But with Blue Chew, if you can benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, then Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment for free when you use the promo code FRANCHISE and just pay $5 shipping again. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and pay just $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and try it for free, courtesy of your friends over at the two-man power trip of wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. Yeah. Then Raven's Flock, which was almost like this, this group of outcasts and misfits, but it just worked, and I always felt like the crowd was so into when you guys were going to get beat up. Like, let's just say, for instance, Goldberg. Whenever Goldberg would come out, and it was well, always kind of like a one-on-one with Lodi. He beats the shit out of Lodi. Then, you know, one-on-one with you, and, like, that's the big showdown before he gets to Raven. What were your thoughts of the flock and those kind of moments, especially with a guy like Goldberg? Well, you know, when we wrestled Goldberg, and uh, I think it was somewhere like out in uh, the Midwest, when Goldberg won, beat uh, Raven for the, I think it was like the TV title. U.S. title, yep. Yeah, I mean, that was that was pretty tough to beat that as a big pop when you know, he beat Raven and he gave me the uh, jackhammer and stuff like that. So, I mean, they were going crazy for Goldberg. They were going crazy for the flock. It was a really good time for wrestling. You know, that, that's when, you know, when I started with WCW, they had to make everyone sit on one side of the stands, and they got everyone into, like, two rows, so it looked like it was crowded, and you could get as many tickets as you wanted to give away. But then when we got into this era, I mean, we were sold out for the TV. Yeah, WCW was just killing it. Obviously, the NWO kind of was the, the precursor. Goldberg kept it going, and, mm-hmm. and guys like the Flock really kept the crowds into it during the Monday Night Wars, and obviously the infamous 83 weeks where WCW was killing the WWF, but it's actually even more than that. It was 104 weeks out of 117 weeks. So basically, it was just a total and utter annihilation, and people were loving WCW. Well, you know, that whole Hogan thing and the NWO was so popular. And then, you know, they had uh, brought Scott Norton in, and he took it over to Japan and got them involved. It was just a worldwide event. It was crazy just how many people were. You used to see NWO shirts everywhere. It was crazy. Definitely one of the most highest-selling wrestling shirts, if not the most highest-selling wrestling shirt ever was that NWO shirt and wrestling was so hot at that point. Obviously WCW was just killing it. What did you think about the flock? Did you think like 
that it, it was kind of going to be elevated, or do you think, okay, the NWO is around, you know, these guys are killing so many shirts. I don't know if we can kind of surpass these guys. We're going to kind of have to be below these guys. The big joke was what the first hour was the cruiserweight, the second hour was the flop, yeah, it's almost like you you can't surpass them, even though the flock was getting such great reactions. You know, obviously you're not going to kind of move up up the ladder and go over Hall and Nash and Hogan and the NWO at that point. I mean, they were just so red hot. What did you think about the you know the the, the faction, if you will, the, the role of the flock and their their spot on the card and how they really really just I, I can't even think of a better term to say but like they just got the crowd on fire. Yeah, they were very active, interactive with the crowd. Uh, Lodi with the signs uh, during the TV timeout or not TV timeouts, but when during the commercials, we we were like really the first group that was out on, with the crowd. No, no way. And you, you just you talk about the NWO like ruling the roost back in the day. I'll never forget. Um, we were wrestling somewhere up north, and I, I showed up, and uh, Kevin Nash and the NWO guys. Like in just their normal clothes, they weren't in it, their NWO outfit. So I thought something was a little weird. And so they go, "Hey, uh, big man, you know, you're in the uh, main event tonight with um, with uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero's nephew, what was uh, Chavo?" I thought, "Man, that's really weird that I'm in the main event on a Thursday night TV." Well, it ended up it was the night that it was the last episode of Friends. So, you know, the NWO knew that no one was going to be watching wrestling. <laughs> That's why I got elevated into the main event. <laughs> Finally got they, to they surpass didn't them. They take the bomb in the ratings. You know, they're like, yep. hey, let's let the flock take the bomb. I'm like, wow, you guys are really smart. Hey, that's why they are who they are. They're, they know what they're yeah. doing. They're very in tune to the business. At this point, with WCW, obviously, you know, with the NWO, they're, they're absolutely killing it. But eventually, Saturn beats Raven. They disband the flock. Did you think that was too soon? Because it seemed like the flock had a lot more legs. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I thought we did have a lot more legs. I just think there was a lot of internal strife. I think that uh, Saturn wanted to go out on his own. Saturn, you know, more power to him. He's such a. Uh, intense guy that, you know, he sort of, if that's what he wanted to do, he was going to do it. And uh, so, you know, he broke off the flock. And then, I don't know, it was really weird because, you know, one week we're doing the flock and then the next week they're like, okay, you're free. And it's like, okay, uh, what are we going to do? You know? Yeah, what was the plan at that point for you guys? So the plan with me was they, they – they pulled me off TV, and then um, the maestro, or the stro, as they called him, mm-hmm. he was supposed to come out and play the piano, and I was supposed to be his bodyguard. And so uh, I think we went to one TV taping, 
and they sort of scrapped the whole piano gimmick. That's actually kind of a perfect role for you, right? Who who wouldn't be intimidated by a seven foot two bodyguard? Yeah. You look at all the guys that have started out as bodyguards and how much you know they've learned and got momentum. So I thought that would be really good, yeah, but they never panned out. Did they? At that point, they were gasping for straws so much at WCW that you never knew what was happening. Hmm. It was the obviously the down period in WWF kind of started turning it around. They started skyrocketing with Steve Austin and Vince McMahon, like you said, and that whole you know, Monday Night War thing exploded for Raw, and Raw kind of had a huge uptake. What was your kind of thoughts? Did you, were you thinking like of creative ways to kind of get back on TV? Were you, were you not kind of thinking, you know, maybe not wanting to to push it out there, or are they not receptive to ideas? What was the whole kind of structure going on with them at this point? And they weren't. Uh, they were with And at this point, are is this when you're kind of headed out the door? Is this when you're getting your release, or do you request a release? Because not too long after this, you're basically gone from WCW. Yeah. We're gonna do. We're gonna give you this great gimmick. And you know, I forget the kid's name. Hello, are you still there? Yeah. Oh, sorry, you trailed off. I um huh? right after I right after I asked um you know what what were you released or whatever you kind oh. of trailed off right right after yeah, I asked. So there was uh, Joey Mamalu. I don't know if you remember him. He was a uh, real skinny, young looking cat. He would take some crazy bumps, and then he uh, he went to ECW for a while. Yeah, Tony Mamaluke. Yeah, Tony. He was Tony Marinara in WCW. Yes, Tony Marinara. Yeah, he uh, he I, he was supposed to get beat up and then say, "Hey, I'm going to go get my brother," and then I was supposed to come in and beat everybody up. And then, like one week before we were all ready to go, they're like, "Yeah, we pulled all new gimmicks." And then at that point, I was just like, "You know what? Uh, it's it's uh, I got released like two weeks later." And I was like, you know, there's nothing going on. And then after that, uh, I just got in with Dusty and, uh, you know, started doing the TCW. Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling, and, and there's obviously Dusty at the helm and his league, and you eventually become tag champ with Glacier. What was it like in Turnbuckle? Because there's so many, if you really look at it, so many good wrestlers and good talent kind of went through, and obviously the, the a genius that is Dusty Rose was at the helm. It was great. It was a lot of fun. We, uh, you know, everyone talks about time on the road, and we definitely had time on the road. And you got the real family uh, feeling with the guys. There's only like ten of us that are really doing it full time. It's just never really got the break to to do anything big. Yeah, but the amount of talent that kind of goes through there, and so many guys. I mean, 
Glacier and Scotty Riggs and Carino and obviously Dusty and Barry Windham and Dustin. It just felt like, man, if they just got a little bit of a break, and obviously with yourself, quite a damn talent roster that Dusty had for TCW. You know, the weird thing was we would run a town and Dusty would charge like $8 for a ticket. And then uh, someone would come in a week later and charge $3. And the fans just never, you know, they just went to the wrestling that was the cheapest. Wow. It was really tough to draw a house crowd. I mean, it was really, you know, we didn't have TV or anything. So, yeah, I really think now if he had um, the webcast and stuff, how it would be a completely, totally different uh, situation. If he could stream it online or something or have yeah. you know, your, your own little TV show or fight TV or yeah. something, yeah, it would have been big. It would have been huge. It just never could. Never got the recognition. You know, we tried to do the, um, well, we did like a big event, and then, you know, the, he sold the videotapes, but it just never caught up. It was a weird situ- weird area in wrestling. It was like between two generations of how guys were doing stuff. So it was weird. But we did have really good matches, and everything was, you know, Dusty made a lot of sense in everything he did, and, you know, uh, Barry Windham would come in, and uh, Dustin would come in, and you know Cody, who uh, I think he was like a f- freshman or sophomore in high school, was hanging out at the training camp with us and stuff. So uh, it was just a really weird city, uh, area in time in wrestling, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And after TCW, and obviously, you know, you would um, still be wrestling. But was that kind of like your swan song, so to speak, where you just wanted to kind of slow it down a bit and and maybe not focus on the wrestling business so much anymore? Uh, yeah. So uh, about that time, my wife got pregnant. She's like, hey, it's uh, time to go to reality. So huh. I got a job in the uh, wine business. I, I had no idea. I never really drank any wine or drank plenty of alcohol, but never any wine. And uh just got into the wine business in uh, right around 2000, and I've uh, been doing it ever since. So, wow, nice! Next time and you drink wine, let me know. You know, think of me. Yeah, think of a seven foot two giant yeah. uh, just drinking uh, down in uh, bottles of wine. Yes, almost like Andre the Giant. You know, <laughs> which man? When I hear these stories about him now drinking so much wine, it's like wow, that's a lot of volume. And pretty much very similar in size. I mean, obviously he yeah. probably was heavier weight-wise, but height-wise very similar. Yeah, I think we're right about the same size. But it's hard to believe that you could drink like so much alcohol, so much volume, just you know, of liquid. It's like, wow, that's gonna be a hell of a piss later, right? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> and, and think about when he was drinking those beers. If you ever seen those pictures of his hand, it's almost as yeah. if you can barely see the, you know, the beer bottle. It's like, what's he got yeah. behind his hand? It's like, oh, yeah, he's drinking. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Now, do you still wrestle nowadays? Because I could have sworn, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were just doing an indie date not that long ago as the uh, Yeti. Did, yeah, we did Super Bowl Sunday uh, or Super Bowl Saturday. They did a Yeti thing here in town, and I went and did that. That's like the last thing I've done. 
And that before that, I was I was amazed at like ten years since I've done anything. I'm like, okay. And I now, think that guy got really good ratings on his uh, video, so it was good. Yeah, uh, and it was definitely a little bit of a viral thing going on because yeah. people were talking about the return of the Yeti. What did it feel to get back <laughs> in the ring after all those years? I was good. I, you know, it's it's hard to believe that ring is still so hard, but it was good. It's a different crowd though of wrestlers. No one wears uh, the wrestling gear anymore. They're all in their jeans and high, uh, with tennis shoes and stuff. So it's really weird. You think the business has changed uh, a lot? And not only that aspect, but you think the business has changed a lot since you were basically running? Uh, you know, I don't think it's so much more pro wrestling. It's sort of more of like a pro. MMA sort of style now. It's not, you know, the old school wrestling where you got in there and put someone in a headlock and then work the headlock and work the arm. I think it's much more MMA based now, the wrestling. With the kind of return to wrestling, is this open the door for you kind of getting back in or is this one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, one and done or, you know, obviously you got the gathering coming up as well, but I mean, like, as far as doing more independent states, is this something where you're like, oh, okay, I'll bring the Yeti out more often? Uh, you know, I'm up to anything. I just, you know, my son's going off to school, so I got a lot of free time now. We'll figure something out. But I'm just, you know, uh, really excited to go to the gathering, see all the uh, all the guys and have a nice wrestling show and, and just, you know, have a great weekend. Absolutely. And, of course, the gathering, Charlotte, North Carolina, Hilton Charlotte University Hotel. You will be there on the 17th, which is a Saturday with K&S WrestleFest. And for any pre-order information, please go to kswrestlefest.weebly.com. And, Mr. Reese, before we let you go, just got to know, what do you think when people look back and they're thinking about the Yeti and Super Giant Ninja and Reese, Ron Reese, Big Ron Stud, whatever you want to say, what do you think is kind of the lasting legacy that you leave on the wrestling business? Uh, I definitely think that uh, I'm thought of as the Yeti and the whole Yeti incident. But, you know, I'm completely fine with that now. It took me a while to, to come to grips with it. But I'm completely fine with it now. And if that's how one wants to remember me with a laugh and a, a smirk, then, you know, that's better than a frown and a tear. So, you know, hey, it is what it is. Absolutely. And if, like we said, if they're remembering you 25 years later, you must have did yeah. something right because that's damn amazing. And I still remember not only the Yeti, but I still remember being shocked that Goldberg got you up for the jackhammer. <laughs> I remember that very, very well. And he did it on many occasions. Uh, you know, it was one of those deals for the for the right guy at the right time. I'm very, very light. That's hard to believe. <laughs> yes, I, you know, I, I'll go up for anybody. Bill was always really nice to me. It was funny because I would take the jackhammer and I'd roll out. By the time he, I like get a quick shower and get in the car, and he'd still be in there doing his uh, posing with everybody. I'm like, hey, take your time, buddy. I'm trying to get out of here before the crowds. <laughs> that that is great and obviously please everybody employ you get out to the gathering see this giant mountain of a man and, yeah. and meet him in charlotte north carolina august 17th now 
is there any way for the fans to kind of reach you? Do you have social media, things like that, as far as plugs? Uh, I do not. Uh, just come on out to the gathering, and we will have a great time. I'm very approachable. You're not intimidating at all, you're saying? That's, no, that's... no. It's, yeah, I've, some guy called me a jerk the other day. I'm like, you know what? For 10 years in wrestling, I tried to be a jerk, and no one took me as a jerk, and now you're calling me a jerk. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> well, whether it be the Super Giant Ninja, Reese from the Flock, the Yeti, you know, the many names that you had, everybody should just, whoever you want to meet, he'll be there, yeah. Ron Reese at the gathering. So please uh, come on I'm down. I think I'm going to break up my time into certain times, like 15 minutes, I'm going to be a different gimmick every 15 minutes. Oh, great idea. I like that. <laughs> Sort right, of a civil gimmick where I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Reese, it's been uh, quite uh, a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Gathering? Yes, yes, we will be there right, as well. well. Please stop on by. Yes, I, I plan on it, and I'm going to take a picture with probably the Yeti, Reese, and the Super Giant Ninja. All right, now, do I get a T-shirt for this thing uh, uh, from you guys? If I could find a size big enough, I, I have uh, to check. Uh, uh, you know, it's sort of like when I try and go buy a car. It's never the car I want. It's the car I can fit in. Same with <laughs> yeah. the shirt. Yep, exactly. Good point. Yep, exactly. All right, well, I look forward to seeing you uh, in two weeks. Yep, look forward to seeing you as well, and you have yourself a great night. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.